Greyhound leader to trap one. Emergency alert to all radar stations. listening to the Trap One podcast. Joining me today is Richard Packer. Um, if you're new to the podcast, Richard has featured uh, on a couple of other episodes. He's never seen Doctor Who before series 10, um, other than, as we established earlier on, uh, you've seen the TV movie when it was broadcast in 1996, but can't remember anything about it. <laughs> uh, so we last spoke, this is like previously on the Trap One podcast, we last spoke, we think, about Extremis. Yeah, we think so. I mean, I, I do feel that, you know, your listeners will probably have a better idea, may have a better idea than <laughs> we did where we're up to. So, you know, they'll just have to correct us if we're wrong. But, but we think, on balance of probabilities, that we've just done Extremis. So, we did get, like, sort of towards the end of the series, uh, an influx of new listeners. So, if they haven't gone back and heard, um, we would we'll do a quick recap of the the earlier episodes. Um, so you enjoyed the pilot and Smile. Yes. You were yeah. less, less enamoured with Thin Ice. Yes, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, didn't really get it. Knock, knock. Uh, yeah, uh, David Suchet, that yes. one. Yes, yeah, that was the yeah. one. Yeah, so, sort of, yeah, enjoyed that one. Quite, quite sort of, um, uh, people being eaten by small insect wings, quite unpleasant, but, uh, but in an entertaining way. Uh, then we had oxygen with the um, the corpses who were being carried around by the, the evil spacesuits. Yeah, I think I enjoyed that one. I'm I'm now terribly sort of aware of contradicting <laughs> myself. Maybe I said it was dreadful the first time around. I'm not sure. I no, I think yeah, that was good. I think wasn't it? Am I right? I thought it was good. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think I think that one was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then and that takes us up to extremis. Uh, which you had a slight problem with because it reminded you of our old English teacher um, saying that you shouldn't finish a story by saying, and then he woke up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's the one that was all, basically all a dream, or, or it wasn't real anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was, I was, slight, I, I, I was slightly, everything I've ever been taught was, was, was against all of that, so I was, I was unhappy with that one. Yeah, it was. I mean, it it didn't happen to the characters, but it did happen, and the Doctor became aware of what had happened. So it was um, it was slightly different to the the dream, you know, kind of uh, ending. Yeah, it would, yeah, yes. No, you're right. I mean, I'm probably <laughs> exactly, but um, there was a, there was a, a couple of clues early on, were there, which sort of looking back, they kind of give an indication as to uh, what was going on. Uh, so it may have been slightly deeper than my initial analysis, I suppose. I'd say, for me, it was one of the highlights of the series. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Really? Okay. Yes. All right. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to go back and watch it again and see if I've missed something. <laughs> well, it's entirely subjective, isn't it? That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I consider you to be the expert on these things. So, you know, I, if, you, if, you, if you give a view that something's really good, and I just thought, it was, yeah, it was all right, then, then, I, then I, I tend to think I might have missed something somewhere. And yet, despite this, We've known each other for probably at least twenty-five years, and you've never watched Doctor Who until this year. I did once. Well, yeah. 
But the 10 years... And they're fair, during most of our 25 years, there weren't that many opportunities. But it's been on for the last 10 or 12 yeah. years. Only <laughs> 10 years. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it has been a bit of a poor effort. You're right. I, yes, I, I do. Uh, I, I do regret that. I mean, I was thinking, actually, this, this series, why is this... Is this series 10? Yeah, it why is, is it, yeah. Why isn't it series 37 or whatever it is? Well, We're actually up to Um no, it would be. Let me work it out. It would be thirty-six, I think. Um, yeah, we're ten series in, and it was twenty-six in the in the old series. Yeah, um, I think. It just seemed off started again. Now there are, there are two series ten, and that isn't that just going to be confusing <laughs> for, for Doctor Who historians? No, because we refer to uh, the original series ten as season ten, and series ten ah. has just been broadcast as as series ten. <laughs> So it was seasons ended, and now we're into series. Yeah, um, I think in America they call them. They tend to call them seasons, which um, the sort of uh, the early Doctor Who fans adopted uh, to refer to the different um, the different series we have here. Um, and then I think also when they brought it back, it would just sound very very tired if they said, "And now series." <laughs> 35 or 36 of Doctor Who. Um, whereas it sounds much younger and fresher and vibrant if um, if they start with the numbering system from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do see the problem. Yeah. I, uh, I, I can also see it might, it might struggle to attract new viewers by the time you got to Series 35 and people sort of think they must have missed quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite, um, it's quite a uh, commitment of box sets to catch up at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I, okay, I can see then that perhaps the, uh, the the producers are wrong. Yeah, it it does touch on something that uh, I'm interested in talking about. Probably as we get towards the um, the later episodes, we're going to discuss um, as as Doctor Who finished the original run in 1989 after after 26 seasons. Um, since it came back, there is a fear among a lot of Doctor Who fans. And this is just a general thing, not kind of uh, saying this is anyone in particular, but if you, if you were to look at Twitter uh, and read the tweets of Doctor Who fans, there is a dread that it will one day, the BBC will no longer make Doctor Who again. Uh, and one of the things I was particularly afraid of is if the so-called casual viewers or new viewers turn away because there's too many references uh, to the past. Um, so with some of the things that happened later on in the series, I'm interested to see what you, what you make of those as well. But yeah, I, I mean, it's a really interesting area, and it's sort of something I was thinking about as well, because there seems to be a... Um, one of the things that I noticed as we've, as we've gone through is that there's a sort of a tendency of there are certain episodes which are really don't require a lot of prior knowledge of things that have happened previously. Um, and then suddenly there'll be some episodes where it does help quite a lot, and there's quite a lot of bits where you, sort of, you don't quite get it uh, unless you have a bit of an understanding of, of, of what happened before uh, before this series. Um, and also quite a lot of the episodes which have... Um, so, so the whole uh, Missy thing all the way mm. through is just something, even when you have an episode which is pretty much standalone, you pretty much don't have to know anything prior to this in order to understand the episode, mm -hmm. there's, there's then something usually relating to Missy which is just sort of off at the end, which it almost feels like it's a sort of the, yeah, we better give the hardcore fans something just to just to latch this on to the whole of the rest of the history of Doctor Who. <laughs> to throw something 
Uh, and so there's quite often this bit at the end where I sort of go, yeah, I didn't really get that bit. But, but I got the rest of it, so it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's an odd thing if you, um, as I do, sort of read Twitter after an episode goes out. Because uh, it's what they call sort of fan service, you know, that they put things in for the fans. But then there's a lot of the fans going, "Oh no, don't put that in because it'll uh, it'll turn off the uh, <laughs> it'll turn off the casual viewers and they won't understand." Um, would you say it's off putting that kind of thing? Not not really. See, I think it's a difficult balance. I, I don't think you should lose all of those historical references and and sort of references to some sort of continuing storyline because I think it's part of the charm of the thing. Mm. I think if if Doctor Who just kind of tries to completely separate itself from its past, then it it just becomes, yeah, another new programme. And, and, you know, I I think having something that it anchors to and having that whole sort of history and background to it is quite, it's part of the entertainment to it. It's part of the entertainment of it. But I think it's it's just important to recognise that people need a bit of education as they go along. On, yeah. on, on what that is. So it's okay if the references are obscure at the beginning and mm. when you first get them, because I think people understand that sort of, yeah, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to learn as I go along. Um, but, but at some point it needs to become clearer uh, as, as to what all that, uh, what's all that meant and uh, connected to. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'm kind of torn on a bit, I think. I think it's good to have some, some stuff to reward the long-term viewers. The feeling is that um, the next series, so the one that's on next year, which will have a new doctor, basically an entire new cast, new producer, um, stroke head writer, um, that they will basically, it will be like a fresh start. So as periodically happens, they'll take the main elements, the doctor, the TARDIS, time travel and stuff, uh, and then try and do a bit of a reset so that new viewers can come on board, that kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there anyway. And what, what's the uh, sort of, it seems to be sort of five million-ish uh, in terms of viewers that it's sort of settled down to towards the back end of this series. Yeah. Good, I mean, in terms of considering time slots and all the rest of it, how is that thought of? Good research there. Uh, yeah, this is something that, yeah, again, a lot of Doctor Who fans will pour over. Um, firstly, the overnights. So that's like how many people are estimated to have watched it, you know, kind of on the night. And then what they call the consolidated viewing figures, which are... People who've recorded it, watched it later, watched it on, on iPlayer and whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, generally it's lower than it has been. Yeah, and I mean, things have changed a lot, haven't they? You know, in, in terms of the sort of viewing figures which can be expected, you know, with, with more and more channels which are popular and, and other things, like a lot of watching of other stuff online and Netflix and all that kind of thing. It, it's a bit of a different world to, yeah. to when that sort of happens. Absolutely. I mean, I think I'm right in saying it's it, it's been in the top twenty most watched programs of all the episodes of series ten. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. It's uh, you know, even since Doctor Who came back, when it first came back, I was recording them on VHS tapes, um, which nobody does anymore now. You know, you uh, you record them on a, a Sky Planner or you know, kind of some kind of DVR device. Download them. You can download them off iTunes and watch them. Um, up until recently, the BBC store you could uh, you could buy things from, and then you buy the DVD box sets and whatnot. Um, yeah. So yeah, viewing viewing habits have, have very much changed, haven't they? Um, do, you, do you still have any of the VHS tapes? No, no. I saw I had I had every episode of the old series that that exists still on VHS, and I sold them all and, and bought them all on DVD. Uh, okay. It's an expensive. It's an expensive business being a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> <laughs> but how how 
how much did you get for the VHS for the VHS version compared to, to when you had to buy them again? Um, I'd, <laughs> I'd say it, it didn't make sound economic sense to do that. Um, I, I mean, when the videos came out, they were probably like 10, 11 pounds each. I mean, I did sell them quite early because I could kind of see the way that it was going. Um, yeah. That before long, they wouldn't be worth anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just I just kind of stuck them on eBay and they all went for different prices in auctions and things. I just wondered whether they might have started to take on a sort of historical artifact kind of price, you know, whether they might start to go up again in value. Not yet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've definitely missed the boat if that's the case. With the DVDs, I tended to wait until they went down to about six quid on Amazon for most of them uh, to buy them. Um, whereas on, on VHS, a lot of it, I was seeing them for the first time. So uh, I tend to buy them as they came out. Whereas over the years, I watched them a few times. So with the DVDs, I felt like I could wait, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> there wasn't that urgency. VHS used to get sort of worn out anyway, didn't it? I mean, it sort of used to deteriorate in quality over time, but you watched it a few times. Yeah, it's that thing, the information was held on by magnetism, wasn't it? Um, so over yeah. time that would that would wear off. There wasn't a thing about you're supposed to store them upright as well, vertically. That helped, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, people did, didn't they? I remember that. I, I, I barely used VHS at all. I didn't mm. have any sort of... I, I didn't have a, a video recorder or video player. Well, well it did both, didn't it? I since remember yes. it being called a video recorder. But anyway, I didn't have one for years and years after, after everybody else had one. In fact, but then I still had black and white TV for quite a long time. I bet everybody had my colour. Mm. Um, so really, VHS, by the time I actually got into that, VHS was pretty much dying out and I, I sort of skipped straight on to DVDs and so on, really. So I'm not mm. an expert on VHS. I remember that about you, actually. I was always thinking, oh, I'll lend you a certain film or something like that. Um, I, I mean, it was quite a moment in our household when we first got a video recorder. I mean, that was a point of great fascination. I would probably have been pressing Doctor Who videos onto you all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I did have a video recorder. I just pretended I didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> probably a good plan. So... Uh, <laughs> The, the, so the next one that we don't think we've discussed is Pyramid at the End of the World, part yes. two of the so-called Monk Trilogy. How did you get on with that one? Um, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, they, they, the monks were pretty brutal, weren't they? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they, the, the sort of the killing of people who consented to them taking over on the basis that they consented out of fear, they consented for the wrong reasons. Seems a bit harsh. I mean, you'd have thought they might just sort of allow them to go back to their back to their everyday lives and sort of say, "Yeah, sorry." But unfortunately, because you consented out of fear, not sufficient. But carry on. Um, but they said not sufficient, and I'm going to kill you, which seemed a bit a bit harsh to me. It does, doesn't it? And I think historically, most invaders um, don't make it so difficult for themselves either, do they? Uh, <laughs> they're usually keener to get on with the business of invading. Uh, yeah, they have really strict rules, don't they? I mean, they've obviously thought this through carefully about, you know, we can only really invade if, if they if they really want us to invade. So it, it can't just be, you know, it's not just about saying, yes, please come in and take over. You, you've, you've really got to want us to take over for the right reasons and you've got to have the right level of authority to speak on behalf of mankind, um, which apparently Bill did in the end. Yes. But why? why? Why did Bill have that authority? It wasn't, um, yeah, because it, 
it wasn't entirely clear, was it, that she they had to do it out of love, but it wasn't. She didn't do it through love of the monk. She did it through love of the doctor. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that sounds like sort of a uh, yeah. That's a bit of a, a bit of a workaround. That a bit of a loophole, I'd say they use that. It is because I think I don't think the uh, you know to some extent the other military leaders who were killed were, would presumably do it through love of their own families or nations or or you know some or the planet Earth as we know it. Um. Yeah, they must have not have explained it properly, must they? I think that's where they went wrong. Yeah. You've always got to make your terms and conditions clear, haven't you, from the outset? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and Bill is just yeah, clearly better at that. Put it, just, put, just put it across better. Um, I believe... But, but I'm still unclear on the authority point. I mean, you know, I, I don't remember voting a bill. I don't know about you. No. It was, uh, it was an odd one, wasn't it? I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't vote for Bill, given the opportunity, but <laughs> I don't feel the democratic process has been completely fulfilled in this case. Yeah, uh, maybe that's what they're trying to mirror, sort of, um, you know, unfortunate democratic outcomes uh, in the real <laughs> world. Uh, it's a metaphor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, believe, I think I read or heard that um, the first draft of this, or an early draft, the writer of this was a guy called Peter Harness, that instead of the the three military leaders, that um, it was going to be Donald Trump, Jeremy Corbyn, and I'm not sure who the other one was. Maybe maybe Kim Jong Un, something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously weren't allowed to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they felt that was stretching a bit far. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and obviously. Uh, Making a wild, a wild prediction about the the general election as well. Well, no, I don't think. I think at that point the election wouldn't have been called when they filmed it, even. Uh, so. All right, so that would have shown amazing foresight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not sure how that would have gone down. I mean, there's no shortage of Trump impersonators, are there? No, no, there's been too plenty. Yeah. <laughs> One of those people that uh, everyone can easily do an impression of. Yeah, I haven't seen as many Jeremy Corbyn impersonators, and I think probably being a Kim Jong Un Kim Jong Un impersonator probably means you get killed or something. Yeah. So that's probably <laughs> profession on balance. Yeah, you probably wouldn't get one from North Korea, would you? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> there aren't too many people making a living out of it. And I kind of get the feeling, even if you're outside North Korea, I'm not sure you're completely safe doing that. In fact, I'm beginning to fear for uh, fear for this podcast. Actually, that we might be both. We might. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll edit around this. <laughs> yeah, that might be best. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure. It might have been Putin was the other person. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, That's probably no safer. I can't even really. Yeah, it's no safer. Certainly, <laughs> I can't actually remember where I heard or read it either. Um, but if I find it, I will put the notes. Uh, I'll put uh, a link in the show notes. Uh, so on the on the huge cliffhanger to the Pyramid of the World, we picked up the week after with The Lie of the Land. Yeah, so this is the last of the Monk's trilogies. This was the exciting finale. I'm getting to turn up. I, I, uh, yeah, so it, this, am I right? This had the um, comical imposition of the monks into historical photographs. Is that yes. this the one? So it had a picture of a monk with Einstein, things like that. Yeah, I'm not sure the intention was that it was comical, but yeah, that's the, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I found it quite comical. I mean, I, 
I, I think it's, uh, it, it kind of fell into the so bad it's good bit for me, just. <laughs> uh, I mean, when I first saw it, I thought, what on earth am I watching? It kind of it looks like a, a, a sort of a, an A-level student's uh, first film sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and, and then I started to find it quite funny and decided, actually, yeah, okay, maybe they just about had all over it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a strange moment. <laughs> Uh, so what did you think of the dystopian view uh, of Britain under the cruel yoke of the monks? Yeah, I thought I thought that was quite well done, and uh, yeah, I, and there was a genuine, genuine sort of sense of sense of peril about the whole thing, uh, and that came across really well. Um, I wasn't as convinced by the you know the way that they seemed to get into the pyramid, uh, which which held the key to the monks' power. Uh, remarkably, I mean, they just—they almost just sort of walked in. Right? I think there were a couple of guards there to shoot, uh, and yeah. then in. So that seemed amazingly easy. Uh, and and then they uh, sort of replaced the image of, oh yeah, well there was the the, the sort of the the, um, the the required bit where uh, the compulsory bit where somebody had to uh, attempt to sacrifice themselves in order to save the world. So in this case, the doctor, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, that kind of didn't work, and then. Slightly mysteriously, the image of Bill's mother, uh, who sort of achieved unexpected fame rather out of the blue, <laughs> saves the day. Yeah, there was. Uh, there's another way that was set up a bit in the pilot, wasn't there? That um, she talks to her mom uh, and has created this idealised image of her, where they have conversations and she uh, kind of gives little pearls of wisdom. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was the uh, so that was the end of the monks, as Missy says. You know, if they if they don't successfully invade. They just chalk it up to experience and leave. No hard feelings. No harm, no foul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the right attitude, isn't it? If you're going to be an invading force, uh, then you know, make sure you leave with the right attitude when it all goes wrong. When Bill shoots the Doctor, or seems to shoot the Doctor in The Lie of the Land, um, and it looks like he's going to regenerate, were you sort of aware what that meant, what that would, what that would entail? Uh- yeah, I was aware of regeneration uh, as as a as a as, as an excuse for having lots of different actors to play Doctor Who, <laughs> or is that unfair? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so I I sort of got the gist that that looked like a regeneration and might mm. be uh, uh, and, and might might result in a different Doctor, albeit you kind of you know you know it's not the end of the series. Thought so <laughs> <laughs> of take it. That's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that was just one of the things I was wondering about there. Yeah, so, I suppose the, the only the, 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 the only thing is that I have a certain amount of pre-knowledge because you told me about regeneration and so on. So as a yeah. as a genuine, complete clean slate, what's this Doctor Who thing? Let's just watch it. I suppose you probably wouldn't have the regeneration concept in your head. Yeah. And the and this kind of the glowing hand uh, as to whether you knew that. Uh, I think he actually says, "Was well, you know, oh, what about the fake regeneration? Was that was that a touch too far or something like that?" Um, but just uh, you know, as to the actual what it looks like, the glowing hands, things like that, whether it was uh, yeah, which I didn't know. So I didn't know that glowing hands were in some way connected with regeneration. But I guessed yeah. from the, the, what regeneration looks like. It's it's a new series thing that the glowing hands never happened in uh, in the twentieth century series. Yeah. Oh really? What happened in the twentieth century when you? regenerated different things uh, depending on the level of technology at the time (laughs) (laughs) Um, but usually just a a kind of a sort of a morph you know from one face into the other Uh, yeah yeah. okay 
<laughs> I'm sure there were some uh, some superb special effects. So you're right. So uh, next, the monks having been dealt with and repelled. Yes. Um, the Doctor Bill and Nardor went to Mars to meet the Empress of Mars herself. Yes, indeed. How did you get on with that one? Victorian uh, soldiers. I, I wasn't that enthusiastic, I have to say. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I, Victorian soldiers on Mars, quite a, quite a nice idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just all felt, they felt a tad outnumbered and, and outgunned. I, <laughs> I mean, it just, it never really felt as if they had any chance of doing anything against the against the ice warriors uh, yeah. and. This empress, who I, it was never absolutely clear, but I had the impression that she had a whole kind of um, army or possibly uh, civilization there in a in a sort of um, asleep a uh, under the the earth of Mars, and mm. that she could kind of bring them back if she needed to. Uh, so it never felt as if she was in a great deal of trouble, really, against the the forces of these Victorian soldiers with their with their guns uh, that they could uh, that they could fire at her. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, it just felt a bit one-sided from that point of view, and it, it was yeah, it was an okay enough story, I suppose. Uh, but I suppose it just felt very small after the whole monks trilogy and major, big, earth-shattering things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we had these. I wasn't sure why we were supposed to be particularly concerned about this little group of Victorian soldiers. Really, uh, it didn't see if they all got killed. Would that matter particularly? Um, well, I suppose it depends how how much you like them. Um, I mean, they, are, they are, you know, imperialists who are, uh, you know, the instruments of, uh, of spreading colonialism, subjugating indigenous peoples and things. You mean that we might actually, perhaps we should have been, you know, cheering on the Empress of Mars as being <laughs> than the Victorian soldiers? Well, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, but you, you're suggesting you felt no sympathy for them. Well, and it wasn't because they're Victorian soldiers, because I have nothing as such against Victorian soldiers. They were just following orders. It's just that uh, <laughs> I, I, having done the, the Monks trilogy and the sort of, you know, this is this is the future of civilization at stake here. Mm. We seem to move up to this is the future of three or four Victorian soldiers at stake. Well, it can't, it can't be the end of the world every week, you know. That was... Uh... <laughs> No, and, and that's a valid point, and it is a genuine problem. I can see that when you've just done the end of the world, <laughs> the last episode, what do you do in the next one? And I, yeah, I, I can see the problem, but this just seemed particularly non-consequential as a as an episode to follow an end of the world episode. This reminds me. Last time we talked, and you showed scant regard for the for the young people who were who were killed in thin ice. <laughs> Or in yes. um, the uh, in knock knock. <laughs> you just see yeah, it's becoming a bit of a trace, isn't it? Really, <laughs> you just see them as collateral damage. <laughs> yeah, and when it's young young people, particularly, I mean, it, seems, it comes across as especially heartless, I suppose. Yeah, uh, and soldiers, and yeah, there is a theme, isn't there? So obviously, the ice warriors have been in Doctor Who a few times before. Yeah, um, but it's not it's not a race that you need a particular amount of backstory for. I wouldn't say. Uh, basically, they, they come from Mars and they are kind of a, a reptilian species, who are kind of they're kind of warlike, but they're also noble and they're all about honor and things. Uh, but this is the first time that we've seen a lady ice warrior. Oh, is it? Oh, so, yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. She's, so it's the first time I've seen a lady ice warrior, but she's the empress. She is. So she, you know, uh, lady ice warriors have gone from being so unimportant that they don't even get on the screen yeah. to, to, to being the leader of the ice warriors. Top of the totem. Absolutely. Wow, that's, that's feminism. I mean, that's, that really is. That's it. Women can be anything these days. Always, she's the sort of Margaret Thatcher of, of the ice warriors. Uh, absolutely, you you may think that, <laughs> <laughs> but slightly less destructive. Or is that <laughs> absolutely. Um, the other the other kind of element. Um, I wondered if uh, you had any opinion on that was from the past of Doctor Who was the the alien that made contact with them at the end and offered to come and pick up all the Ice Warriors. If you remember there was uh, Ali. Was uh, there an alien? There was the, the the doctor sent a message out saying, you know, can anyone come and pick up these ice warriors? Um, and then uh, an alien called Alpha Centauri, with one huge eye. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one huge eye. That's right. Yeah, and Alpha Centauri. That's in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, isn't it? Is it? Is it because it's a real planet? It's. Um... Yeah, is it a planet or is it a? I'm not, I'm not sure. sure. I thought it is a real galaxy. It's a planet. It's a um, real place, but, but I can't. Yeah, I I can't remember. That it was a uh, a planet, a solar system, or a. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah you might be something. Maybe something more than a planet. Yeah. But I didn't know. Is is it maybe because maybe there's a real Alpha Centauri? Is there? I'm not sure. Yeah, I I always think because the. Alpha is an ambassador, maybe just kind of named for the place, you know, where like, um, isn't there like lords that are named for the place and then they just get called by that name? Yeah, Lord Buckingham or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but the fact that they've used the same term in Doctor Who as mm. they used in Pitch High Sky to the Galaxy presumably means it must have come from somewhere. Yeah, oh yeah. Just, Definitely use the same collection of letters. They're definitely it's definitely named for the real place. In Hitchhiker's Guide yeah. to the Galaxy, it's the thing. It's the small furry creatures from Alpha Centauri who were real small furry creatures from Alpha Centauri, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I knew it was in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sure they just get a name for the place. I've always imagined Alpha Centauri's name for the might not be um, their real name. Um, are we? Who? Who? Are we? <laughs> So there's real world, and there's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and there's Doctor Who. Which which one are we talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about the Doctor Who one now. Um, right. Okay. Alpha Centauri. Who? I mean, I guess that answers the question, really. That um, you know, did you find that weird that that alien turned up at the end? Particularly, I think because the music gets really dramatic and exciting, as though it's of some import, um, and it is yeah. for long-term Doctor Who fans because it's this uh, alien that was in two stories in the seventies. <laughs> Um, who's a who's a hermaphrodite hexapod um that uh, yeah it's kind of of just popular character they brought back just for that one little bit but obviously it wasn't distracting because you've no recollection of it whatsoever i was gonna say i mean it strikes me that besides anything else to be a true doctor who fan as well as having watched a lot of doctor who you need a very good memory 
because you're expected to sit here in 2017 and go, <laughs> I, this alien that was in two stories in the 70s, yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm, here, I've just watched this episode and, I, I, and I'd actually forgotten that this alien was in it at all. So what, what are my chances in 37 years' time or whatever it is of remembering it when it comes back again? <laughs> I'd say that's true. The weird thing is I've only got a good memory for Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> when you come to sort of putting the bins out or... Uh, <laughs> Kind of anything, <laughs> remembering people particularly up until this year when I worked with the public, kind of remembering a customer I dealt with even earlier in the same week, uh, I'd really struggle. Um, yeah. But I can yeah. remember who wrote really? and directed um, Doctor Who stories from many years ago, yeah. I'm exactly the same, only with me, it appears to apply to Doctor Who as well, unfortunately. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, so once the uh, once the, the TARDIS has left Mars, we next pick up with them in, as you say, Roman Scotland, uh, where the Ninth Legion uh, have been defeated by the Eater of the Light. What were your yeah. thoughts on this one? Better or worse than Empress of Mars? Higher or lower? Oh, higher or lower? Better, higher. Yeah, <laughs> higher, higher. Yeah, no, definitely higher. I mean, actually, as somebody who quite likes historical stuff, Mm -hmm. um, all of the prior to this one, I hadn't particularly enjoyed any of the historical based episodes. They haven't been my favourite episodes, um, so I was a bit surprised at that. But this one has historical bases, and it was historical bases I really enjoyed. Uh, I like the sort of connection to the to the to the genuine mystery of the Ninth Legion. Mm -hmm. um, although I think mystery is a bit of an exaggeration for it, because you know it was a long time ago, and there are fairly minimal records of it, and, and there stopped being records of it, and so it's a complete mystery what happened to it. But I, I've always thought, just you know, being a legion that presumably it's you know was involved in a battle with somebody and sort of got wiped out. Uh, but but this you know revealed now uh, is that uh, in fact it was much much more exciting than that. Uh, surprising truth is that they were killed by by an eater of light, which came through an interdimensional portal. So uh, yeah, that was a bit. Of a show. It's a bit like a uh, it's a bit like sort of, I thought a kind of Channel Five documentary, you know, where they they sort of say. <laughs> And now, with amazing new evidence never seen before, we can reveal the incredible truth behind the Ninth Legion. Yeah. And it is quite surprising. I thought I quite, um, I, I was sort of quite entertained by the whole uh, Bill interacting with the um, Roman uh, soldiers, people, um, and the yeah. whole uh, there was a bit of a there was a bit of a sexuality reference there with the kind of the Roman soldiers didn't think that weird to to, to you know be interested in somebody of the uh, uh, of the same gender so that mm. was just a, a sort of a thing thrown in there which uh, uh, which I suppose uh, accompanied the uh, uh, the is, is it the first the first gay character in Doctor Who with Bill I can't remember. Uh, the first gay companion or kind of regular yeah. character um, yeah so. The through that, through that in, which sort of made an interesting conversation, um, and and I liked the uh, the the, um, the the way that the uh, I don't know if they were picked, but let's say they were picked. I'm sure they, they were, yeah. Yeah. So the way that the Picts and the Romans having their little fight kind of paled into insignificance, and the Doctor sort of saying they were they were children, basically, which mm. in, in in age terms they they pretty much were. Um, and, and that just fell into insignificance compared to the to, to the bigger picture. Uh, whereas, of course, at the time it was it was it was massive. This this mm -hmm. battle. Yeah, and it, it, I felt like it picked up on some of the same themes of em of Empress of Mars with the you know sort of imperialism and yeah, kind of two opposing sides uh, that uh, you know kind of have to learn to put those side the differences. And it's uh, 
it's the Doctor as, as Peacemaker um, as much as, you know, kind of saving the world and, and some of the bigger things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next story was the, the first of the two-part finale, World Enough and Time. What did you think of this one? I don't understand the title. Why is it World Enough and Time? It's from a poem. Oh, is it? Yes. Um, it's from a poem by Andrew Marvell called His Coy Mistress. Ah, okay. And, and was this something you were, is this just come from your bank of knowledge or is this something you've researched? I haven't seen the title. No, I researched it, yeah. I don't, I hate poetry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't you, uh, what did you study at university? No, I suppose it was sort of media more broadly, wasn't it? I did English literature um, with a sort of side of media. Um, right. But I okay. deliberately chose my modules in English to avoid poetry. Um, <laughs> but it, it did kind of backfire in the sense that I had to read like three or four novels a week at <laughs> certain times. Yeah, it's, that's the beauty of poems. They're generally short. They are. But, yeah, I just I don't really get on with poems. Uh, I know I'm a, a philistine. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a pretty shocking revelation. Ah, <laughs> ah. Uh, 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 many happy hours spent in the uh, spent in uh, A level English literature lessons. Mm. I don't think you like poetry at the time, incidentally, if I remember right. No, I just it just feels like a very obtuse way of uh, getting your message across. <laughs> <laughs> you, you much prefer just a straightforward statement. Yeah, basically. Yeah, what's wrong with prose? <laughs> <laughs> um, what was that? The wasteland. God, I think that was... Did we do that A-level? The Wasteland? Yeah, is it T.S. Eliot, The Wasteland? Don't think so. Unless, I mean, it's entirely possible, as as referred to earlier, yeah. it's entirely <laughs> possible that we did, and I've totally forgotten it, but I don't remember ever having read it. I feel like that might be the one that put me off. <laughs> right. Oh, is it a poem? Yeah. I just don't know anything about it. I have heard of it, actually, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. Anyway, uh, other than the title, uh, other did, than the ti- did you never yeah. get over the title once you read the title? Was that? Um... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really remember reading the title much at the time, but I, I, uh, but I thought afterwards when I saw the title, I thought, actually, I realised I have no idea what that means. Uh, but no, I mean, this was, uh, this, was, this was back to the serious stuff, wasn't it? So we'd, we'd done the sort of arsing around with the... Uh, the, the, the <laughs> Mars thing and the, the Romans and all that with, with sort of, uh, okay, entertaining but, but it, it sort of didn't feel as if it particularly fitted into the whole um, general storyline it was just kind of standalone stuff um, mm-hmm. and, and then we're back. I did notice that um, Stephen Moffat wrote these two and it sort of felt as if he kind of lets somebody else have a go when it comes to the inconsequential stuff but then when it's back yeah. to the really serious stuff he <laughs> steps in again takes over. Yeah, I mean from this series he wrote the pilot Extremis. He co-wrote the Pyramid at the End of the World, uh, and then wrote these two final stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I did notice that actually the last of the Monks trilogy was written by somebody different, mm-hmm. which I kind of thinking, wondering about how that works. You know, did they literally just hand it over to him at that point and say, "There you go, you finish it," or, or do, do you think they sat down and had a conversation about the, the general theme of how it's going to work? 
I think from what I've read, it, it started off as sort of three concepts for stories, and then they thought, well, let's just make this all about one big story with um, um, the monks. Um, so Peter Harness, that wrote the middle one, The Pyramid at the End of the World, came up with the monks. Steve Moffat incorporated them as the villain in Extremis, uh, and then um, Toby Whithouse used them uh, for Lie of the Land. Um, ah, but I okay. think that accounts... I don't know how closely they work together, but obviously accounts for some of the uh, inconsistencies, like they don't talk in the lie of the land, um, whereas they're quite the chatty Cathy's in the uh, in the first two, aren't they? Yeah, no, that's a, yeah. <laughs> now you come to mention it, you sort of can tell, can't you? That it's it's sort of three stories put together. Yeah, I, I just and they just kind of lose having had this. Uh, like you, you picked up on the weird thing in the. The pyramid at the end of the world about how the consent had to be given uh, and it had to be from love and you know it sounded like they had some very interesting complex either belief system or uh, you know something that was going to hold them back. Uh, all of that disappeared in the third part, didn't it? Um, yeah, there was no, uh, yeah sense, did, really. no sense of explanation about the um, uh, the sort of the motive for consent or anything like that. Uh, no. I feel like all I've done is really is really kick lie of the land. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, yes, that's, that's true, really, isn't it? I mean, I did sort of wonder whether uh, where, whether the writers of the earlier part were a bit pissed off with it as a as a, as a finale to their grand works. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but but you know, fair enough. If, if they'd all actually been written as separate stories, then presumably they all had the gist that uh, they all knew what they were doing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was the low point of the series for me, lie of the land. Uh, looking back. It, it, part of that was the disappointment because I really enjoyed Extremis, quite enjoyed mm. um, the Pyramid at the End of the World, um, but uh, yeah, I felt like it uh, it petered out. It was all just so basically the, the monks trilogy was just downhill all the way. For you. Yeah, sort of started high and then just gradually got worse from there. Yeah, and that's just 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 my opinion. Obviously, I saw people on Twitter who thought that Lie of the Land was the only good one <laughs> of it. Oh, really? Yeah, um, but that's, I mean, everyone comes away from, the, the Watches Doctor will come away from it with a different favourite episode. Yeah, I mean, or, those, uh, those people are wrong, yeah, obviously. They are, but, but uh, you know. So. Yeah. But, but, but I suppose entitled to that. Yeah. World Enough in Time is, is one of my absolute highlights of the series, though. Um, I thought it was great. The The whole setup of the ship where time runs at different rates from one end to the other. Yeah. The really yeah. kind of heartbreaking thing of Bill being separated and slowly kind of drawn into the what was going on at the bottom of the ship. Yeah, so I love uh, I love the size of the ship. This is a very man thing. <laughs> the size of the ship uh, was, but I like so uh, one of the things I like about Red Dwarf is the is the, the the sheer scale of the ship itself. It's one of the things I sort of visualise about future space travel and things mm -hmm. uh, that because we're not affected by gravity and atmosphere and that sort of thing, yeah, I'd have thought it's theoretically possible to create huge structures mm -hmm. uh, which which move around space. Uh, and I always liked in Red Dwarf the sheer size of the sort of mining ship, I think it's supposed to be. And, and this, again, it, it was, it's a ship, but it's more like a city, really. But mm -hmm. In fact, it's more than a city, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely vast. It's like a world. Yeah, uh, which, a world or a uh, continent, yeah. So that was great. And then, am I right... The, the time is different in different parts of the ship because it's kind of partially sucked into a black hole. Is yeah, right? it's, it's the gravity from the, the black hole is affecting time, yeah. Well, they're, they're very, very slowly moving away from the black hole. 
but very incrementally. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and they created the whole thing where they could sit and watch the events at the other end of the ship going on. When they were at the bottom of the ship, they could sit and watch the events at the top of the ship going on incredibly slowly, which was quite fun. Yeah. Um, and what did you think about the just kind of the general thing of what was happening to Bill? It was uh, quite grim. Yeah, pretty shocking, wasn't it? I mean, I'd only just got. I, I first of all, I was struggling with the puzzlement as to why the guy the first guy they met who actually worked on the ship was blue do we know why he was blue he was an alien right okay but he just looked human but blue yeah um if you remember there was another blue alien in oxygen i'm not expecting you to remember that but there was a there was a blue alien oxygen as well yeah so blue is an indication that you're an alien i suppose it's the lack of oxygen really yeah yeah (laughs) The, the odd, there's been, uh, in the last few years, we've met a few blue aliens. Um, but obviously they, they come in all shapes and sizes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, but, but coincidentally, otherwise, basically identical to a human. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, obviously, the, uh, the guy, uh, Razor, who befriends Bill during the 10 years that she, uh, she lives at the bottom of the ship. Yeah, yeah. Who turns out to be a? Uh, uh, it turns out to be a, a part of the establishment after all. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, that would the reveal when he pulls his mask off wouldn't have meant a huge amount to you. Would you kind of get what they were going for with that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So so he, he starts off by he starts off by befriending Bill, and you sort of get the impression that he's kind of he's not a part of he's not a part of what's going on. He's sort of working against it, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then he he he, he lures her into uh, the operation, I suppose, to make her into begin making her into a Cyberman, and then yeah, he pulls the mask off, and he turns out to be somebody else. Yeah, did you, I mean did you get who he was and what the relationship was to? No. Okay. <laughs> Um, it basically beats the object, object of the whole episode, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, the thing was, I mean, it had been um, it had been revealed in the publicity for this series beforehand that this character was coming back. Um, so he's the master who's been played by different actors, like the Doctor over the years. He's a Time Lord as well, but an evil one. Um, and he yeah. was last. Yes. Yeah, so yes. Yeah, so I did get the bit about the master. I didn't at the time that he that he revealed himself I didn't get it but I but I did as it then went on get the point of him being the master yeah so who is a, an earlier version of Missy uh, yeah and I think I knew that Missy I think I knew before that or I had in my head before that that Missy was in some way the master yeah but I'm not sure whether I knew that because of something I'd actually got from this series or whether it's because of something you said I think um I think it might be a conversation that we had uh, earlier yeah. on, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, his version of the Master isn't something from like the old old series. It's been since Doctor Who came back when David Tennant was the Doctor. He was the Master in in a couple of stories there. Um, and became the Prime Minister of the UK. That was a, that was the reference uh, of why he was in disguise around Bill as well. Ah, uh, right. So <laughs> Bill didn't recognise him as the former. Yeah, evil prime minister of the UK. Yeah, that would have been a giveaway, wouldn't it? Yeah, but uh, he was also in disguise from the other residents of the city because he'd 
he'd enslaved them, but they'd risen up against him, as we find out. In uh, in the second part of the finale, the fall of the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, that was that was quite the last two. These these last two episodes were were some of the best of the series for me. I, yeah. it felt it felt like it was significant. It felt you know it's good good storylines and. Uh, yeah, you could you could see the significance of it for the the whole you know the the whole the whole bigger storyline of, of Doctor Who. So I think that uh, that 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 really led to it. Um, good entertaining battle with the Cybermen. That mm. was uh, good, good fun. Um, I, the, the, the whole the whole Missy will she won't she does she have a conscience after all kind of thing it was quite uh, it was quite well done. Yeah, and at the end, the Doctor. Never finds out that she was going to come back and help. I thought that was no. uh, quite a quite a nice ironic twist at the end. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure how the whole. I mean, after she literally stabbed the doctor in the back, uh, stabbed uh, the master in the back, mm-hmm. uh, and then, uh, and then he shot her. Yeah, uh, they'd sort of shot each other. Then I haven't. I mean, they'd sort of shot himself effectively. Yeah. You know, every time the master is is defeated, or not every time, but many many times, the the master's apparently been killed at the end of the story. Then we'll show up again uh, in a little while, um, usually with no explanation um, of uh, of how they managed to survive. Uh, so yeah, being shot in the back and then being on the ship as as that floor blows up um, doesn't mean that we won't see the character again. No, and I liked Missy's uh, sort of manic laughter after they yeah. they killed each other or, or whatever. I thought that was uh, from the sort of actor point of view. I thought I thought that was that was Missy's best bit in the series. Yeah, uh, yeah, I thought that was terrific. Though, and then he descends in the lift, laughing maniacally as well, yeah. um, to get back yeah. to his own TARDIS where he's going to regenerate into Missy. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, that was good. And then the return of the Puddle Woman. Yes. Did you see that coming? It's it was, it was funny actually because uh, it, she she left the first episode clearly in a manner that she was going to return, but I'd kind of forgotten about her, so I, I didn't I hadn't been thinking about it before she suddenly reemerged. Yeah, I thought it was a nice ending for Bill that uh, she um, she she got to go off and travel with Heather in the end, which uh, was the kind of the offer that she got in the first episode. Yeah, uh, so she didn't have to live a life as a Cyberman. No, which does sound pretty unpleasant. Yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't happy about it, was she? Not at all. No. Yeah. No, I mean, you just thought, you know, you get all these extra gadgets and stuff, and that beam <laughs> thing from your head, which seems quite destructive. And I, you know, I'm not sure what people are so upset about, but nobody seems that happy about being a Cyberman. Yeah, I mean, I think given the choice, she'd rather be a puddle. Uh, yeah, that uh, yeah. can travel anywhere in space and time. Mm. Yeah, first that has its advantages as well. Yeah, and then plus uh, social was a bit bit limiting. Yeah, <laughs> which has got the option. They did say Heather can turn her back into a normal human, um, or they can travel, or they can do whatever they want. So the options are open for the next showrunner who comes in to bring Bill back or to do whatever they want, basically. Yeah, yeah which is which is good. I have to say, I hope Bill might return in a future series. She's she's been very good, the actress. Um, I think she's yeah. kind of destined for for great things. Uh, 
Uh, and then at the very end of the episode, um, as the Doctor staggers out of the TARDIS into a, a snow-covered wasteland, did you kind of get the uh, the significance well, of that? Well, so the, the, the return of the first Doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that um, uh, was that something that was obvious to you from watching, or I, I, the problem is, is I can't remember. So <laughs> I knew at the time, but I think I'd seen something, some sort of trailer or reference to it somewhere or something that the first Doctor reemerged at the time. Mm. So so when he reemerged, I knew he was the first Doctor. But I mean, presumably, I, I'm going out on a limb here. Might be about <laughs> to be really insulting, but I'm guessing the actor who actually played the first Doctor is sadly no longer with us. Uh, that that's true. Yeah, William Hartnell died in the nineteen seventies. Um, he'd be he'd be well over a hundred now. Uh, he probably wouldn't still yeah. be acting. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he, the first Doctor has been recast before. Um, in the nineteen eighties, they did a story called "The Five Doctors," where the first five incarnations of the Doctor teamed up, more or less, um, and they got another actor to play him. Uh, so there is a precedent mm. for this. And David Bradley, who's playing the first Doctor in this one, has played William Hartnell in a TV movie about the making of, or the origins of Doctor Who and how the first sort of series was made. And, uh, well, kind of covers the three years that William Hartnell played the Doctor. So he has played William Hartnell and played William Hartnell playing the Doctor. So, and now he gets to play the Doctor as well. I see, but they just always use an actor who looks vaguely like the original actor, do they? So you know, uh, he doesn't look that much like him, um, <laughs> and I think he's considerably taller as well. Um, well, you know, he's, <laughs> he's grown a bit over time. Yeah, he's. Um, but he does. He does. The, he does the voice and the kind of the mannerisms, and the, he does it all very well. So uh, yeah, it should be very interesting. So you don't necessarily need. Uh, I was imagining you need a sort of a bit of writing on the screen and an arrow sort of hovering there, going first doctor, <laughs> the emergence. But you feel he does enough to be evident first doctor. Yeah, I mean he's dressed as the first doctor and he's uh, he's got the voice very well. So it'll be, uh, and I say they, they've they've it's a part that they've recast before uh, fairly successfully. So yeah, then we have the blowing hands again. Yeah, so he's he's basically he's fighting off a regeneration at this point. Um, when the Cyberman grabbed him on the rooftop at the beginning of the fall of the Doctor, um, it seems like that did enough damage because when he was uh, walking along with Bill, following the Master to find out where the lifts were, he sort of leans against a tree and his hand glows. So he's basically he's, he's holding it back. Yeah. In the Christmas special, we'll, we'll see him have an adventure with the first Doctor, uh, and at the end, he'll regenerate into the next Doctor. So, yeah. Okay. Think... So, we're, so we're expecting a new Doctor. What in the in the Christmas one? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. There'll definitely be a new Doctor will be seen in the Christmas special. And I, I heard rumor about a potential female Doctor. Um, yeah. There's all sorts of rumors. Um, a specific one. Is it Phoebe Waller-Bridge? Or just that it would be female, do you mean? Uh, no, I didn't hear a specific rumour about who, oh. which particular uh, member of the uh, <laughs> gender was to be involved, only that uh, there was a possibility that it may come from, from 51% of the population. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think because there was a, a big rumor that it was Phoebe Waller Bridge. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this actress. She was in a sitcom called Fleabag, and she is. I think she's going to be in the next, maybe not the next Star Wars movie, one of the upcoming Star Wars movies. Um, but I think her agent or somebody has been on Twitter saying it's definitely not her. Don't waste your money at the bookies if uh, if you put any money on her. Yeah, but that could be a you know that could be a cunning diversion, couldn't it? It could indeed. It could indeed. Basically, it comes down. She did an interview where somebody said, "Are you going to be the next Doctor?" And she said, "I can't say yes or no." <laughs> uh, and people thought, oh, "Well, you wouldn't say that unless you were going to be the Doctor." Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's an element where some actors maybe even being linked with the role will kind of increase your profile a little bit and make people think about you. Yeah. Maybe other kind of yeah. casting directors and things. So, uh, but by well, all I mean, accounts, oh, if, if I were to, yeah, a bit of a scoop here, potentially, if I were to ask you, uh, are you to be the, the new doctor? Well, I can't say either way, but, uh, no. <laughs> well, well, understandable. Yeah. yeah. Circumstances. <laughs> have to be some, some sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that you would pick from uh, to be the thirteenth Doctor? Uh, oh god! Oh god! That's a difficult question. I uh, I don't know. No, I don't know. I, I suppose I suppose the idea of going with somebody a bit different. So so yes, somebody female would, would be uh, um, yeah. That would that would sort of add to, add to the variety and stop it being. But but. I, I mean, in fairness, in Doctor Who's defence here, albeit kind of disregarding over half the population, but but in Doctor Who's defence, there isn't necessarily not all the Doctors are basically the same, are they? I mean, they they do. Uh, there isn't a great deal of diversity there in one sense, but in terms of the way the the way the characters are, it's not lots of people over and over trying to play the same person, is it? They they have they have different personalities and they come across in very different ways. Yeah, they they there's a lot of different takes on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, but they have all been. Um, white and male so far. Um, yes. So there's um, there's a real feeling that uh, that they should go, they should do something different this time. Yeah, yeah. I it feels like it's time. It feels like it's it's overdue. Um, yeah. Uh, and that they should be a, we should see something different. Yeah. Was Fleabag a character in a uh, a TV children's TV thing when we were young? And that's Teabag, isn't it? Teabag, yeah. That was the... Uh, what was that called? There was that woman. And she had... There was Teabag, and it was her nephew or son or, or kind of servant was called T-Shirt. Oh, that's right, yeah. Remember? And he used yeah. to go, yes, your majesty, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Never gets old. The, the girl... There was a girl on it who was... Was she on a quest or something? And Teabag had to... Try and stop her. Was Teabag a sort of a witch? Yeah. And it's, uh, I think she's on EastEnders now. And she used to be on a sitcom called The Upper Hand. But when she was, oh, right. when she, I can't remember her name, but when, when she was quite young, she was on this, uh, I guess all I can remember about it. I think I remember The Upper Hand, but I hadn't made the connection with, uh, with Teabag. Yeah, I don't know, what was that, what was that program called? Yeah. Of course, sadly, this week, Grotbags has died. Or the lady that played Grotbags. You remember Grotbags? Yeah, I do. Wow. I mean, I'm I'm impressed that she was still alive. I mean, that's... I think that's... she was only about 72 or something. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Which makes me think Grotbags was a lot younger than we probably thought. I think, yeah, I think we've, we've been deceived. 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's again, that's one of those things just not thought about for years and years and years. Uh, but uh, yeah, I really vividly remember watching Grot Bags and uh, Rod Hull and Emu and all that. That's right, yeah. I mean, I, I, only, uh, I only discovered just the other day at work that uh, did you know that the, one of the musketeers, uh, one of the three musketeers, is not called Dog Tanning? Dog Tanya, that's not the right name. It's because it's a dog. I mean, I just I was shocked to hear it's not actually Dog Tanya. It's always been. The name. I don't. I don't know if you're joking there or not. <laughs> no, actually, actually, I'm not. I mean, I wasn't that shocked. I must admit, but I, I genuinely didn't sort of realise that Dog Tanya was a a, a a a change to the name. It all just to reflect the fact that in the cartoon series, it was a dog. Yeah, it's it's D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan, yeah, yeah. Well, somebody in the office said, said <laughs> D'Artagnan, you see, and, uh, and and I said, surely it's D'Artagnan, but apparently not. <laughs> I mean, I didn't look silly at all. But no. Everyone was very understanding. <laughs> the um, yeah, I mean, I think the book is based on on the cartoon. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, who's, yeah. who's to say which one came first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I've never read the book, so <laughs> my entire knowledge of this important artifact of English literature is uh, is based upon the uh, cutting with the tops. It's 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 French literature. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I thought you might be about to say that because I do accept the names of the giveaway. <laughs> Um, is it in French the original book? I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, I was aware it was it was based in France, uh, I, in France because the uh, uh, because Dogtanian wears a beret, so, <laughs> so clearly, <laughs> clearly it is French based. But uh, I didn't I didn't know whether actually the original was written in French or whether it was always written in English. No, I'm sure I'm sure it was Al- Alexandre Dumas, isn't it? It's a brilliant book. I read it a few years ago. It's, it's really I really enjoyed it, and there's like four sequels as well, um, oh, really? which I hadn't realised. There's twenty years after. Um, there's I don't I'm not going to be able to remember all these. Is it Vicomte de Bragelon? Uh, I've got them all um, upstairs somewhere. Uh, I had remember Doctor Who. So, do you think you'll watch Doctor Who again? Do you think you'll watch the Christmas special? I'll, I'll certainly watch the Christmas special. Yeah, no question about it. And, and you know, if the Christmas special is well done, then presumably that will give you the sort of uh, the, the cliffhanger which takes you into the the the, the new series. Are the, do we know, are the plans for another series? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's going to be a, a next a series, a series eleven's next year, and um, by all accounts, the BBC have committed to making it for at least another five years. Um. So okay. yeah, when I say like Doctor Who fans panic that, <laughs> that the day yeah, will come. It's, it's a sort of long range panic. The day will come when they they no longer make it. Um, it it isn't that it might end immediately. It's just that it might ever end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just be horrifying, isn't it? I mean, that would just be unacceptable. Yeah, well, I think because it happened once, uh, the fear is always there that if the if the viewing figures drop too low or interest drops in it, um, yeah. that the BBC might might cancel it. Um, but I mean, they get huge overseas sales from it. Uh, it's uh, it's not going to go anywhere anytime soon, and it's a, a staple of like Christmas Day schedules, and it has been for like a decade now. Yeah, and I think 
in a strange sort of way as well. The fact that it disappeared before and came back sort of decades later gives almost a, a sense of if it were at some point to have to, to stop, you'd never feel like it was it was the end. You'd always feel like it can come back. It's come back before, however long it's left, it can still yeah. reemerge. Absolutely, yeah, it can come back. And, and during that time, the sort of sixteen years when it wasn't being made, um, they released books on a monthly basis for a lot of those years. Uh, the monthly magazine kept going. Uh, you know, there was all kinds of uh, there was uh, a lot of interest still there. You know, it was uh, it was just waiting to to come back and be well produced and, and yeah. kind of uh, be uh, be a successful show again. So, so generally, was there anything that sort of surprised you about it, or anything that sort of fit the the stereotypes you had of Doctor Who before the, the kind of preconceptions? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I enjoyed it more than I expected to. It was better than I expected to. So, so I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was more accessible to somebody who hadn't uh, watched previous Doctor Who's than I expected it to be. So that was that was really good. That had always been my slight nervousness, slightly put me off Doctor Who, was that I always had in my mind of, yeah, probably quite difficult to get into uh, at this stage. So <clears throat> that was really good, and I thought it was a good balance between making sure there were still some connections to the previous story, but without it being all about that, and, and sort of allowed you to ease yourself into it. Um, uh, I, I like the I, I like the weirdness of it at times. You know, I like the way sometimes it didn't always take itself too seriously, mm-hmm. and it and it had strange peculiarities like the like the being chased around by a, by a puddle in the first episode, which I thought was a, a brilliant a brilliant concept. Um, so yeah, overall, uh, yeah, really enjoyed it, and uh, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing some more of them. I think excellent. So uh, basically, a successful conversion. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I think we can say that. So, like, uh, as Bill was converted into a Cyberman, <laughs> <laughs> you, you're... I, I'm pleased to report that it was less painful on balance. Than <laughs> you weren't sitting in the chair like the uh, like the early Cyberman going pain, pain, <laughs> <laughs> let me die. <laughs> no, only in the uh, in the Mars. I think, yeah. Right, that was your that was your low point. I, yeah, I think it was. I think, sort of thinking back through, uh, there, were, there were a handful, you know, two or three of episodes, which I thought, yeah, wasn't wasn't greatly impressed with that. I think the Empress of Mars was was the low point for me. Mm-hmm. And what what was your favourite? Was your high point? Was it the final? Uh, yeah, um, I oh god, that's difficult because I, you see, in terms of pure enjoyment at the time, I really enjoyed the sort of, and I can't remember title of the episode um but but the early one where they went to the uh the the, 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 the sort of um new the the uh city surrounded by the cornfields and all that and smile, they, um, yeah was it was it oxygen smile smile yes yeah. thank you yeah really enjoyed smile so i thought that was great um but then when i sort of got further through then of course that was a it didn't have great significance for the for the overall storyline. Really, it was just entertain really entertaining story in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, then it perhaps got taken over a bit by the the the, the, the big heavy episodes later on, uh, and, and particularly the last two, you know, because because that really felt like I think the last two episodes combined a really good idea for a storyline in itself with. The, the, the wider significance for the for the series and, and for, for Doctor Who as a whole and the progression of the bigger story. Uh, and I, I think they were probably my, my favourite overall. 
Yeah, so you like the bigger episodes, the ones that tie into a story arc. Um, the stakes are higher than the the smaller self-contained, what they call bottle episodes. Yeah, generally, I think I, I enjoy the ones. I enjoy the ones where, as you say, the stakes are higher. It just feels more significant. Um, but I do think that Smile, for example, demonstrates that the those those smaller uh, those smaller self-contained episodes can work with, and be entertaining as well. Yeah, interestingly, the the guy that's taken over Doctor Who, uh, Chris Chibnall, he wrote Broadchurch, um, and he recently <laughs> done an interview where he was talking about he's got kind of a bold new vision for Doctor Who, which um, everyone has kind of um, just imprinted their own idea of what uh, <laughs> of what he should do onto it and said, oh, maybe he's doing this, maybe he's doing that. Uh, and what, what, some, what some, I think one website was suggesting that maybe he's going to do um, a series where it's all one big long story each week yeah. in the way that Broadchurch works. There's no evidence for this whatsoever that I've seen. Um, <laughs> I think it's just because that's the way that Broadchurch works. I think he's going to do that. And then it just seems to have been like picked up as a, as a sort of pseudo fact and everyone's commenting on it and whether it's good or not. Uh, did you watch Broadchurch? No, I don't. No, no I'm going to see. No, I didn't either. Um, what's, so. what's your view on the concept of doing a series which is one long story? Well, Doctor Who has done that before. Um, there was a story in the 80s called The Trial of a Time Lord, which was uh, a 14-episode um, arc. Although the episodes are shorter than the ones we've got now. They're all sort of 25 minutes. Mm. Um, it wasn't a resounding success. Um, I don't know. I, I think I prefer individual stories. Um, because the way the Doctor Who works, if, if you tune in one week and you don't particularly enjoy it, you think, well, it doesn't matter because next week there's a different story with a different writer, a different idea and a different guest cast, and I'll, I'll probably like that one. Whereas mm. if, if there's one long story and you're not really into it... <laughs> <laughs> it could become a bit grim. That's it for the duration. I, I, I can't really see them doing that. I think, um, I think they've just extrapolated that from the fact that that's what the format of Broadchurches was mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, to do that. Yeah, and I think it'd be high risk, wouldn't it? So in terms of attracting new viewers, um, you've got to work quite hard then to get those new viewers into one single storyline. Whereas having it self-contained, that that works better. If you don't necessarily have all the background, that works better to just, yeah, it's a snapshot story and and I get it. Yeah, I mean, there's an element that, you know, a lot of TV, um, that is your kind of, you know, your water cooler um, conversation TV is like that. So things like Broadchurch or Game of Thrones or the the night of, uh, you know, the, the kind of stuff where you, oh, I can't wait for the next episode and you tune in and then you discuss it at work the next day. But they're all kind of new things. Um, the, you know, kind of line of duty and stuff like that, you know, it's, uh, it's the sort of thing that a lot of people I work with watch come in the next day and discuss it. I don't know if you can shift Doctor Who to that. And then, uh, you know, one, attract new people and then, you know, kind of uh, do away with the dipping in and out every week, should you want yeah. to, uh, individual stories. So, But we will see what happens. Well, I uh, suppose if somebody asks you what you plan to do with Doctor Who, it doesn't sound that great if you just say, yeah, I didn't, didn't think of changing it, yeah. really, you know, just pretty much... If it ain't broke, don't fix it, yeah. Very honest. <laughs> you know, it sounds better if you say you've got a complete new concept, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what happens. I think it'd be a big, 
there'll be something of a shake-up. Um, you're talking about having all new writers for the for this series, potentially doing it as a writer's room, where a bunch of writers work on every episode instead of an individual writer on each story. So mm. we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. But we should find out who the new Doctor is very soon as well. Uh, is there an announcement date? There isn't, but um, they are filming the Christmas special right now. Um, and they're unlikely to be able to sneak in the new Doctor uh, for the regeneration scene without it being leaked or whatever. So they'll probably try and get ahead of it and uh, do an announcement. When they announced Peter Capaldi, they did a live primetime show on Saturday night BBC, so we'll, we'll see whether um, that kind of comes around again. Ah, uh, okay. So. Tends to be a bit of an event, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but in the meantime, Saturday Night TV just goes back to being shit, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> the absence of Doctor Who. Well, I mean, I have to say, I didn't watch any of the episodes on Saturday night. No. Uh, I recorded all of them, and well, I didn't record, of course, you don't record things anymore, but it was just there, and I uh, I watched I watched them all on iPlay. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing, you know, that kind of viewing's changed, hasn't it? You know, there's, I, probably Doctor Who is the only thing that I watch as broadcast now. Yeah. Everything else, my Sky Planner picks it up on Series Link, and then whenever you sit down to watch TV, there's always something there to, that you want to watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, the world's changed. It has. Uh, so, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Uh, we might speak to you again in the future. I mean, I'll, I'll speak yeah. to you again in the future, but um, <laughs> whether we record it or not, it's. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, we only speak. This we're trying to create a bit of an illusion here. We only speak when we're uh, when we're when we're being broadcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's like being on Big Brother or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, well, thank you very much for that, and thank you for agreeing to to watch the series. I'm pleased that it hasn't been a, uh, too much of a trial for you. That you've enjoyed it. Not at all. No, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and that we can count one more viewer for the future. <laughs> <laughs> Five million and what? <laughs> to help the series keep going. So, thank you very much for joining me, uh, and thanks for everyone listening. Um, tune in next time for another episode of the Trap One Podcast. In the meantime, you can subscribe on iTunes, follow me on Twitter at Trap One underscore, uh, or on Facebook. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.